You're listening to Time Out with Jen and Lisa, a podcast where we talk about what matters most, sports. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 23. I believe it's episode 23 of Time Out with Jen and Lisa. Uh, we skipped the week last week. Um, I'm sure everyone missed us. We uh, Life just gets in the way sometimes uh, for us. But yeah, we have a, an exciting stuff to talk about this week we've got some major league baseball nhl the nfl had a um tim tebow sighting again in jacksonville so we're going to talk about that a little bit we've also got some cool ncaa golf stuff and what we're really going to kick it off with is uh women have really been making some moves in the professional ranks and um It's been a pretty exciting last couple of weeks for for women in getting into executive positions and coaching positions in men's athletics. Uh, It's sort of, I think we're kind of seeing the table shift a little bit, so we're going to talk a bit about that. And I think that's it for this week, right? And anything else that we kind of want to... Anything that comes up Anything that comes up, yes, anything that happens. So I am your host, Jennifer Fink. With me is the fantastical... Lisa Porcello, uh, are also known as our, our trivia diva. I get such um, great intros from you. Thank you. Fantastical trivia diva. You're welcome. <laughs> That's what happens when you're married to me. So, yes. Yeah, so let's. Do you want to kick it off with uh, women in uh, some of the professional sports ranks and what's been going on the last couple weeks? Well, there's been some big games for women in sports, which is awesome that they're finally being recognized as uh, being able to be in positions of power and decision oh, yeah, baby. in all the sports. So just to go over a couple of them, uh, the Denver Broncos hired Kelly Klein as executive director of football operations, special advisor to the GM. Uh, she's believed to be the highest ranking female in scouting in the history of the NFL. Wow. That's impressive. You know, Kelly Klein is also a wrestler. Did you know that? Really? I mean, not this Kelly Klein, but another Kelly Klein. <laughs> I was like, what, is she like a WWE wrestler? <laughs> she was. She was known in, she's in the ring of honor. But anyway, that's a random fact that I know about <laughs> but, Kelly Klein. But it's not the same one. <clears throat> it's not the same Kelly Klein. Okay. Yes. All right. No. I'm not, not, you know, not to say. But I don't want people to think it is the same not Kelly Klein. Not to take Klein. away from wrestlers. No, no. It's a very physical sport. Yes. It's very physical, oh, even though it's scripted. We've been watching the documentaries on A&E, the biographies of the old school wrestlers. It's we, fantastic. Yeah, we saw Rowdy Roddy Piper. Really good. Yeah, that's so. a really good one. I think we have like three others recorded. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited. Yeah, and that was when I watched wrestling. I don't watch wrestling anymore. No, when we were kids. Yeah, I, I watched the, it You had the little, the Hulk Hogan thumb wrestlers. Remember oh, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I bet Didn't I still have, have one in a box. cards too? Oh, I'm sure. Do you have any? It's very possible. <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Kelly Klein, Denver Broncos. So that, that's a big deal title, Executive Director of Football Operations and Special Advisor to the GM. So that sounds pretty impressive. Yeah, that sounds impressive. So uh, next one is Dr. Haley Wickenheiser, who's been elevated to the role of Senior Director of Player Development. And Danielle Goyette has been hired as the Toronto Maple Leafs Director of Player Development. So... Go Toronto Maple Leafs. Fantastic. So we have football and hockey. Oh, uh, senior director and director. Player development. I guess that's like scouting too. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I got another hockey one. And this one hits close oh. to home. I'm very excited about this. Megan Dugan. Megan Dugan has been hired for the newly created role of manager player development within the Devils Hockey Operation Department. 
Uh, Dugan is a former ice hockey forward who played for the U.S. in the 2010, 2014, and 2018 Winter Olympics. She's a beast. Can you tell me how many, how many, me- what she has in terms of medals? I bet you know. So what did she win in 2010? Olympics. I, I know in 18 they won the gold. Yes. 14 they won the silver. 2010 they won the silver. Silver. So two so silvers and a gold. Two silvers and a gold. And she was the captain of the U.S. team in 2018, which won the gold. And didn't she score the winning goal in the overtime? That I'm in not the, sure. the shootout? I love Megan Dugan. I love the U.S. women's hockey team. I think if you haven't checked it out, some of the best one of the best rivalries in sports is U.S. women versus Canadian women. You have to remember that. Uh, female hockey players aren't allowed to check, but there's totally checking in oh, those yeah. games. It's awesome. And it's that's great. a whole other Shoving. sidebar. They don't allow women to check in hockey. And have you seen the strength and size of these women? I understand it in 1998 when they started, but I don't understand it now. They're all but, huge. Like uh, Kendall Coin Schofield, she's married to um, a professional football player uh, who plays for the Chargers, I think. Maybe the Broncos. I forget. She posted video of herself with him on her shoulders, and she was powerlifting him. Yep. Now, he's like 300 pounds, oh, at yeah. least. Yeah. And she was doing it like he was a baby. I, I just, yeah, I get it when it first started. I mean, I get it. Like, the U.S. and the Canadian teams were, were big. They were they were big. They were much bigger than the other teams. But now, all the other teams are just as big. And a lot of them actually play in the U.S., mm-hmm. Um, in college and on the professional teams and in the Canadian professional league. So yeah, I, they got to allow checking. It's, it's getting old. Yeah. It's bring getting back old pretty quick. Bring back, bring it, bring it. Oh, bring, bring it, it, bring it. Um, but any, as you were saying, us women, Canadian women, it's crazy physical, even without it's really checking. fun. It's, it's really fun. fun. And interesting fact. So Megan Dugan's retired from playing uh, on the national team. She's married to a former Canadian player. And they have a son. So how about that? That's cute. I can't remember her wife's name, but she was a a big-time Canadian player. So Uh, I'm just excited because the Devils usually hold events where you get, like, autographs from, like, yeah, like Ken Danico, who works for them, Bryce Salvador. So I really hope that they have a meet-and-greet with Megan Dugan because I'd be pretty (laughs) excited. You're going to be, like, a (laughs) 12-year-old. Hello, Megan. Can you sign my puck? Hi, Megan. Can I have a picture? That's what will happen to poor Lisa. Yeah. Well, all right. So uh, moving on to the next one. (laughs) At least you admit it. Uh, Duke University promoted Nina King to be its next athletic director, replacing Kevin White, who's retiring in September. Uh, She will become the first woman to serve as Duke's athletic director and the third African-American woman to lead a Power 5 athletic department, joining Virginia's Carla Williams and Vanderbilt's Candace Story Lee. So, big gains for both African-Americans and women with that hiring. I like that. That's good. I I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I'd want to become athletic director at Duke right now because the men's basketball didn't even make the postseason. So, (laughs) there might be a lot of pressure there. That's okay. She'll she'll be fine. I'm not worried about that. I'm just saying, I don't know if I'd want that stress. No, but, um, you know, I, I, it, it'll be fine. And it's not like the Duke men's basketball team that's going to be a repeat. So I'm not worried about it. It's coach K after all. It's coach K. Well, and that's another thing we saw that, uh, and UNC's coach retired. mm -hmm. I wonder if coach K is going to be 
No. Playing some golf soon. No, he's he's going to uh, he's he's going to die on the sidelines at Duke. I just don't I just don't <laughs> see it any other way. Like there are just some coaches that I just never see retiring. Vivian Stringer's one at Rutgers. Oh yeah, she's going to die yeah, on, the on the sideline. Chishevsky yeah. um, is another. I think Gino may retire. Jared Vanderveer is probably going to retire. Mm, no, I see Vanderveer dying yeah. on the sideline. Okay, all right. Oh. Okay. She seems like the type of person that. <clears throat> When she's not coaching basketball, she just doesn't know what to do with herself. She's coaching her dogs or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She just goes out to, like, she sees kids playing pickup <laughs> in her street, and she starts coaching them. <laughs> I could see that. That I could see. I could see that, because I would do that. <laughs> exactly. I know you would. No, now, no, you want to pass it over there. Get no, to the actually, open spot. you would challenge them to a three-point shooting contest. I would. Maybe, maybe like, five years ago. Shoulders a little achy. So it's a little more creaky than it was five years ago. Excuses. Yeah. Well, we're getting up there, at least. No All right, I got another one, and this is a sport that you enjoy. Uh, racing. Yay. Aston Martin signs Bond stunt driver and W Series racer Jessica Hawkins as new Formula One driver ambassador for the 2021 season. Hawkins has raced in Formula 4, Formula Ford, and the British Touring Car Championship, as well as Formula W, which I didn't know existed, that they had I didn't Formula either. W. I had no idea. 100% women's racing. No idea. So. Didn't know that until I read that article. She's also a motorcycle racer. Oh, really? She's badass. Well, I mean, the fact that she like does her. the James Bond movie I know. stunt driving. So to all you uh, Bond fans out there that are like, man, that guy can really drive, you need to change that. Man, that girl can really drive. Right? Yeah. She's awesome. I, I like her. And her, her girlfriend is the Top Gear stunt. Was the, the top, top Was the Top Gear yeah. uh, drive the car, drive the random standard car she around the track. She replaced the Stig. Yes, she replaced <laughs> the Stig. Yeah, Abby, Abby Eaton. Abby Eaton, Who's yes. also a racer. Yeah. No, that's cool. I'm, I'm excited about that because Aston Martin needs to do something because so, they are sucking it in. <laughs> <laughs> they are horrible in Formula One. They're not doing very well. They have good drivers, but... So I'm wondering. They need some sort of marketing. Speaking of, of women in sports, I, I'm wondering when McLaren or somebody Ferrari is gonna call me. Oh, you know, after your driving experience, I'm surprised McLaren didn't call you immediately after that day. It was my favorite car to race that day. Yeah, it was. Yeah, Lisa got to a fun, extreme experience. We're racing around a what was it, a ten-turn track mm-hmm. at New Jersey Motorsports, which I'd never been to. It was really cool. Yep. And McLaren, Ferrari, Lambo, Mercedes, Porsche, uh, Ford, Ford, Mustang, Shelby, Dodge, Dodge Hellcat. Yeah, and the McLaren was your fastest. You topped that at 120 on the, well, the at least McLaren, 120. The McLaren was my favorite to drive, but I couldn't get out of it. No, it was really funny because <laughs> I saw the door open and there's like. I'm like, oh, okay, she, why didn't she get now? And I needed I saw a can the, opener to I get me out I needed the guy run over, your yeah, instructor. Yeah, they had to put the seat back. Yeah, um, your instructor yeah. ran over to help they you out. They some pry yeah. bars. And... Yeah, it's low. I saw, you kind of like, I saw you, you kind of like fell into the car. It forces your legs together. Like, you, your legs are pressed together. You have no room to move your legs apart yep. any. Um, but it was my favorite because it was the fastest. Uh, Dodge Hellcat, definitely. And... Oh, my God, the Dodge Hellcat on the straightaway. Just, <laughs> like, man, that thing. And the Ferrari. Took off. 707 horsepower. And yeah, definitely and the, Ferrari. the Ferrari. The Ferrari was so comfortable and beautiful. It's got to be the most beautiful car. Ferrari 488. That's my favorite. Uh, but anyway, so I'm wondering when McLaren or Ferrari is going to give me a call. I don't know. I could do the Formula W. Yeah. I could do the Formula W. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sure. 
45 year old. 47 year old. 47. Okay, I'll give you two years. 47 year old. <laughs> Formula E rookie or Formula W rookie, Lisa Porcello from hey, New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not British. I'm German. <laughs> hey. Whatever. Need for speed. So I got one more big game for women in sports. Go for it. Uh, your Buffalo Bills. Yes. Have brought aboard Sophia Lewin as offensive assistant, and they've also hired three other women to staff. Uh, they hired two women to staff positions in addition to hiring two female interns. Uh, let's see. Sophia Lewin's going to be an offensive assistant. Andrea Gosper is going to be a player personnel coordinator. Now, Sophia Lewin has a history with the Bills as she served as a training camp assistant in the past. She's previously served as a quality control at Princeton and was a wide receivers coach at Hudson Catholic High School in New Jersey. Oh. Which Hudson Catholic, no joke. Yeah, they're a good team. Uh, Let's see. uh, Gosper, Andrea Gosper, has served as a scouting intern with Buffalo for the past two seasons. Uh, She first came to the Bills after connecting with them at the NFL's Women's Careers and Football Forum. She played softball at the University of New England before coming to the Bills. So they're going to be in full-time positions there. Cool. So go Buffalo. Yeah, that's exciting. That's really exciting news. So I'm wondering when Buffalo is going to see your talent and hire you as a scout. That would be fun. I mean. I could go do that. You know enough about your team. I do. I do. That would be fun. I'd be like, no, I don't know. He's not very good. That That's all I would put on my <laughs> clipboard. No, he can't catch. Well, Next. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it big games for women in sports uh yeah it was a quite quite a uh two-week period there it was actually like a week week and a half yeah and i mean here's hoping for more but i think we're definitely making big gains yeah uh, women know sports uh yeah that's why, <laughs> I we mean, have, that's why we have a podcast and a blog and a blog and we go to sporting events lots of sporting events pre-covid yeah not as many now but we no. have a new couple but yeah, no, that's that's really exciting um, news. I, I hope it continues because I do think, I, I mean, I've always said it's a good it's good to work with a mix of people. Yes. Genders, races, everything. You get very different perspectives on things when you work with with a big group of different type it, of different people. Different perspectives. And that's that is a key. And I think that that you know, sports are business. There's no doubt about that. And um, there are a lot of women in high positions in business and there should certainly be women in high positions in, in sports as well. I mean, so, cause it is a business. Hip hip hooray. That's it. I women. like it. Should we slide on to major league baseball? Sure thing. There was another no hitter. Uh, All right. So I just want to say this before we start. So any player that we give shit to. Yes. Turns around like within like two days and like takes off. I am so sorry, Corey Kluber. I gave you shit. You gave you sh- you gave him shit. I, I did. Was, I gave him I less did. shit. It was me. I take the blame. It's Bryce Harper. And then okay, he I was, gave him shit too. See, there we go. So maybe I'm a good luck so, charm. So maybe we who who's the next player that we want to do well that isn't doing well that we need to give shit to so that they do well, because I, it's kind of seems to be our trend. Like mm. you really and and the thing is like I've always been behind Corey Kluber because I've always felt like he was not in a good spot. Like, was he done? I was like, ah, maybe he is. But he's pulled out, outside of the no-hitter, his game before was a gem as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like I, um, I feel like you need to 
give shit to somebody else so that they can do well. Well, let me think about it. How about um Aaron, um, Aaron Judge? No, I'm not doing or Yankee. Aaron Hicks? No, I'm not doing Yankee. Okay. So, <laughs> Corey Kluber, he completes the Yankees' first no-hitter in 22 years and the 12th in franchise history. Can you tell me who was the last Yankee to throw a no-hitter in 1999 against the Montreal Expos? David Wells or David Cohn? David Cohn. David Cohn. On July 18th. Oh, David Wells was before that. Yep, he was right before that, I think in 98. But David Cohn, July 18th, 1999 against Montreal Expos threw the last Yankees no-hitter. That's a long stretch. Yeah, 22 years. So Kluber has the 12th in franchise history. Uh, and he threw Major League Baseball's second no-hitter within inside of 24 hours. Oh, that that was crazy. And it's the sixth of the season so far. Normally, I think there's only six to eight in a season no-hitters. Yeah, there aren't too many. Um, let's see if I can find the average. I believe it is six to eight. Uh, because we know de- it was Detroit Tigers' uh, Spencer Turnbull uh, completed the first one in the 24 hours, and then it was Corey Kluber. Um, okay, let's see. So Major League Baseball has officially 302 no-hitters since 1876. 23 of them have been perfect games. Two no-hitters have been thrown on the same day twice by two guys I have never heard of from 1898, Ted Brittenstein and Jim Hughes. Oh, and Dave Stewart and Fernando Valenzuela on June 29th, 1990. Eight no-hitters were thrown by Major League pitchers in the 1884 season, which did not count. All right. Or no, so, so it did count. What's so six to eight yeah. average? I think eight seems to be the we most. We could have 15 to 20, maybe more, if it keeps going this way. Didn't we talk about deadening the ball? Didn't we talk about that? Well, I'm going to talk that, about that in a little we bit. We talked about that in the podcast uh, so earlier. It's worth noting... Uh, Corey Kluber was facing a former team. The Rangers even gave away Kluber bobbleheads, a planned promotion from last season on Wednesday evening. He appeared in one game with the Rangers in 2020 before a shoulder injury ended his season. Uh, and Texas had acquired him the previous winter as part of a trade that also involved Delano DeShields Jr. and Emmanuel Kloss. So they gave away a Corey Kluber bobblehead. On Wednesday night, the night he threw the no-hitter. Yes. That's phenomenal. And yes. he was only there for one, like... One season. One season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And, I mean, Delano DeShields Jr., I don't know if I would have given him up for Corey Kluber. <laughs> nope. Anyway. Nope. Uh, let's see. So the Yankees entered Wednesday with the eighth longest no-hitter drought in the majors. I wonder who has the longest drought. Hmm. We'll have to find that out. So, And just so you know... The record is eight in a season, 1884. Oh, they're going to break that. In the modern era, since 1901, seven no-hitters it's, is the most. They're going to 1990, way... 91, 2012, and 2015. It's interesting that they're, since 1901, we've had seven no-hitters, but that didn't start 1990 to 91, so back-to-back, which is probably Nolan Ryan. And then 2012 and 2015. What, did he have all of them? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no. He had seven in his career, but... Yeah, that's kind of crazy. Uh, so another interesting thing, this marks the second time this season the Rangers have been no hit. Uh, they were the first team to be held hitless this season as San Diego Padres right-hander Joe Musgrove 
shut them down on April 9th. Okay. Since then, the following pitchers have joined the no-hit club. We've got Carlos Rodon on April 14th, John Means on May 5th, Wade Miley on May 7th, most recently Turnbull on May 18th. So the modern record for most no-hitters in a single Major League Baseball season is seven, like you said, with the all-time record at eight, which was set during the dead ball era. Yeah. Uh, This is the first time in Major League Baseball history that three teams have been no-hit twice in a season. The Rangers, the Tigers, and Cleveland. Fascinating. So we talked about in a previous podcast how Major League Baseball was tinkering with the baseball. they, uh, if I remember correctly, let's see. So they altered it slightly uh, after 2019. Uh, a committee of scientists <laughs> that were commissioned by MLB came to the determination that the baseballs had less drag on average than previous seasons. Uh, and there was, it was due to inconsistencies in seam height. And did you know that Major League Baseballs are hand-sewn by workers in Costa Rica mm-hmm. at the yes. Rawlings factory? Yeah, it's actually a really interesting, I think there's a 30 for 30 short is. on it. Yeah, and it's crazy. They have to get the stitches exactly right, and then they go through this inspection, and if the stitch is raised or something, like, it's rejected, and that's what ends up in the, the, the stores for us to purchase. Hmm. So a lot of ours are hand-stitched. Like, a lot of the ones that you get that you pay, like, you know, 20 bucks for, like, yeah. the official Major League Baseball, like, that's, those are the ones that get rejected. And they don't have the Delaware River mud on them, either. Mm. So, those, those, those get handed out. But it's insane. Like, it's, it's crazy the amount that they, these people can sew in an hour. Like, they just put the ball on this thing, and they put the leather around. I just can't believe it's It's ridiculous. So, Rawlings loosened the tension on the first of three wool windings within the ball, lessening the ball's weight by 2.8 grams without changing its size. So, but here's the thing, is I know we're going to go, we're going to talk about Clayton Kershaw, and we're going to talk about how um, he's really mad about this deadening of the ball, but I I don't think that is what's causing it. But um, I just think it's a freak thing. I, I really do. I think it's the ball. I just don't see it. I don't see it. Like, do you think more grounders are being produced? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, so I have some, let's see, I mean, there's already been six no-hitters. Uh, let's see, I thought I had some numbers. So the league is hitting 236 this year, which is the lowest batting average in history. Uh, the league hit 237 in 1968, the year before Major League Baseball lowered the mound. To okay. me, that's significant. All right, all right. And by the way, just to go back really quick, you said that no team... So the Rangers have been no hit twice this year, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, the Tampa Bay Rays are the only Major League Baseball team to fail to get a hit three times in a year. Was that when they first started, like in the 90s? 2010. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, and there's actually spanned like a calendar year. Wow, so the Rangers could Rangers could break that and be within the season. So that that could be interesting. Well, I think that brings us um, up to Clayton Kershaw. But before we go into that, we were talking about the longest stretch between no hitters for a team. And it is, you want to take a guess, it's an American League team. You're looking hmm. at me with a very... Uh, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Thinking uh, face. It's the thinking face. The twins. No. Correct division. Cleveland. 
Cleveland Indians. 40 years and six days. Their last no-hitter was 1981 by Len Barker. That's that's crazy. I thought I thought the Yankees 22 years well, they're or the 21 eighth, years. The eighth longest. Yeah, yeah, no, 30 years for the Blue Jays. It was Dave Steeb. Remember him, 1990? I remember his baseball card. Uh, Texas Rangers are 26 years and 297 days. Kenny Rogers. Um, yeah, 40 years and six days for the Cleveland Indians. Hmm. May 15th, 1980. The Mets only have one. That yeah. That's Johan true. Johan Santana. Eight years, 354 days ago, he threw a no-hitter. Yep, and I don't see one happening soon. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so, DeGrom? I don't know. So let's go into uh, uh, Clayton Kershaw. I mean, so, he had a lot to say about this last no-hitter <laughs> and the fact that we've had six so far this year. So what's interesting is that Clayton Kershaw is one of the premier pitchers in Major League Baseball, but he is not a fan of this surge of no-hitters in Major League Baseball. He... He came out, he said it's probably not good for the game, uh, and he said, you know, n- no-hitters are exciting and extremely cool, but so many no-hitters in such a short period of time threatens to oversaturate fans and cheapen the accomplishment. And I just think that uh, this abundance of no-hitters, I kind of agree with Kershaw that it's it's bad for the sport. And he's blaming, he says, the ML, Major League Baseball is to blame with its new deadened baseball. Do you think it's just that guys can't hit the ball into, like, the gap as easily? I mean, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, to me, a solid base hit is a solid base hit. If it's a deadened ball, maybe it doesn't go 20 feet as far as if it wasn't a deadened ball. I don't know. I mean, he... Kershaw also said that, uh, you know, it, whatever the intention was with the new ball, it really hasn't done anything. There might be less home runs, which I guess they want, but I don't know the stats on that. Strikeouts are the same. He goes, I saw some stats for April that it was the worst hitting month in the history of something. And he goes, no hitters are cool. I have all the respect in the world for Corey Kluber and all those guys that have thrown no hitters, but to have one happen every night, it seems like it's probably not good for the game. They want to see action. They don't want to see a lot of strikeouts. Uh, I, you know, he, he, he goes, I appreciate the attempt that Major League Baseball has tried to do this, but I think it seems like they missed the mark so far. Now, Clayton Kershaw does have a no hitter um, to his credit, and we all know he's probably going to end up in the Hall of Fame someday. Uh, and if anybody wants more no-hitters, it would be a Hall of Fame pitcher like Kershaw. But I think it's interesting that he called out Major League Baseball for uh, a lack of action. And that, I mean, you know, the league is hitting 236 this year, which is the lowest batting average in history. Um, so I think it, it's reputable that it's coming from somebody of a pitching caliber of Clayton Kershaw. You would think he'd want more no-hitters, but he's thinking of the game. So I disagree, and this is why. Okay. I think there are more strikeouts this season. That's why the batting average is lower. I mean, if uh, he's saying that it's the same, but if you look at the Major League Baseball team strikeouts per game, mm-hmm. so this is how many times they strike out per game. Philadelphia Phillies are 10.20 per game. Wow. Last year, they were eight. But could that be to the deadening of the ball? No. No, 
I, I just I think it's I think it's hitting. I, I don't I don't buy the deadening of the ball being the reason why there are more no hitters. I buy the fact that people want home runs and that's all that people you know, that's all the batters can do is they hit home runs. Look at the Yankees. I mean, I, I use the Yankees all the time as an example. I use that game we went to in 2019 as an example. Mm-hmm. They got four runs on four solo home runs and they lost the game. I That's not. Come on. They were playing Oakland, and Oakland scored by batting the guys around or getting a double or, or you know. I mean, people don't position hit anymore anyway. If there's a runner on first, it, it, you don't have many players that are going to pull it into right field well, so and the, get the runner the to second. so effective because nobody wants to train themselves Why? to hit it to exactly. the shift. I think that's the problem. I don't think it's the ball. I think it, I think that's the problem. I, it, you know, it maybe we'll look at for next week to continue the conversation, like, you know, to look at what have been pop out so far this year to ground out. I think somebody needs to do an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> and I know somebody that loves Excel spreadsheets. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I mean, Arizona is striking out nine per game to seven last year. So nine strikeouts per, per game. game. That's a lot right? to seven last year. And you're looking at, the biggest difference, let me see, Detroit is 10.3 to 9.78 last year. And if you look at the last the last three, so the last three games, Tampa Bay has struck out 11 times on average over the last three games. So that means in one game they struck out, like, what, 14, 15? And another game they struck out eight? Well, I, mean, right? I wonder, we'd have to, we have to do is compare it to the 2019 numbers because it was – the surge of hitting and home runs in 2019, I think that led to them deadening the ball. So I'd be curious to see oh, how those stats chance. compare. Just give me a chance. Let's see. I do think. Let's that... take Philadelphia. Okay. 10.2, they're striking out in 2021. In 2019, they struck out 8.9. Chicago Cubs, 9.01. Oh, wait, I, shoot, I didn't use them as my other, my other one. Hold on. Whoops. I have to reload the page. Chicago Cubs 9.77 so they're about the same but it but if you look at that if you look at that like okay the last the last three games just use the Phillies 9.67 the last game they struck out 15 times who'd they play oh I don't know I have no idea like the Grom pitching no that was their last game that they played (laughs) 10.23 they're striking out 10.23 at home and 10.18 away and that's that. They're two point two more strikeouts per game than they were last year. So what you're saying is that they're swinging for the fences, and that's why they're striking out so much. Yep. But look. And at the batting that, average is low, right? The batting average is two thirty six, which is the lowest in history. Case in point, people. What about the home runs? Shouldn't with your argument, shouldn't there be more home runs if that's no. all they're trying to hit? No, because they can't. Not everybody can hit home runs. Not everybody can hit a home run. And if the ball's dead, you're not going to hit a 450-foot home run. You might be giving the outfielder a better chance of getting it. But I don't think I don't think the no-hitters are the reason behind, you know, the dead ball is not the reason behind the no-hitters is what I'm trying to say. I don't believe that at all. I think that the batters aren't as patient. Because even if you're, even if you're not swinging for the fences – Say you're not like, say you are a power hitter. You have no idea how to hit in the gap. 
You have no idea how to place the ball. Your main mission is to get up and put a ball 420 feet into the outfield. Well, because that's that, your mission. That's what brings fans. That's what gives you the money. Now, I think what has hurt the game more than deadening the ball is the shift. Oh, the shift caused Jay Bruce to retire. Yeah. I mean, all these players have to do. And don't get me wrong. It's very hard to hit opposite field. It is very hard to do. It's not an easy thing to do. But you're a professional athlete. You learn how to do that. I believe didn't they do the shift for Ted Williams. And didn't he teach himself how to hit opposite field? He did. He wasn't that great at it, but he did. Yeah. I The one player that impressed me the most, and this is a name that you'll never think I would put impressed in this person together, is Jason Giambi learned how to hit opposite field. <laughs> 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 he learned how to hit opposite field. His last year with the Yankees, they because they would shift. The third baseman would be just about at the shortstop position. Shortstop would be, yeah, maybe to the right, uh, maybe sort of closer to the second base, first base side of second base. And you had your second baseman, your first baseman all kind of jammed up on the right side of the field. And then he learned how to just hit this weak-ass dribbler that would just go right. But since nobody was at third base, it would get into and the outfield. And he actually was fast enough to And get he to could get base. to first base because there's no fielder. All right, good point. I mean, the fielder has to go back into the grass or the left fielder has to come in to get it. So he taught himself how to do that and get on base. And then whoever batted behind him at one point, I think it was Danny Tartable was batting behind him. So that probably wasn't much help. But whoever was behind him... <laughs> could then try to get him in or had a better shot to hit a home run to the point that they didn't go all the way back to their positions, but the third baseman sure as hell was closer to third base than he was playing the shift. I mean, that that's what you have to do. I mean, never in my life would you ever think impress no. Jason Giambi. No. But, uh, yeah. Especially after you read Jose Canseco's book. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. The one that everybody said, why are you reading that? I said, because what the hell does this guy have to lose? Like, he has been kicked out of well, baseball. Well, everything he said is, is true. come to life. Yeah, but. So, so I don't, I don't You're not think, buying what Clayton Kershaw said. Absolutely not. I just think he's sore because he hasn't thrown one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You think this is stemming from jealousy? He's jealous <laughs> of the no-hitter. No. Right now, no, he, I don't he has a, a picture of all the guys that have thrown a no-hitter this season on his wall as inspiration. That's it. That's it. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm. I just All don't right. buy that argument. I just think that these players. I mean, maybe it's impacting the average a little bit, but I don't think it's that. They're striking out more. They're striking out more. I mean, even the teams that are striking out less aren't striking out by much. Like Houston is only striking out 6.98 times a game. Um, in 2020, they were 7.33. So that's not. That's like a half of a batter, you know, per game. So that's like every other, you might be getting six and then eight, six and eight. So that I don't see as being that much of a difference. There aren't too many that have improved to the point that I would want to be noteworthy. A lot are the same and most are worse. Most are worse than they were last year. So yeah, Philly, Detroit, um, 10.30 to 9.78. But the Phillies, I think, are, are the biggest difference. They're, they're two, 2.2 more times. All right, so what we need is we need Clayton Kershaw to phone into our podcast, and you guys oh, yeah, can you argue, on that. <laughs> argue what they think about I just don't if think, it's the dead just, ball or what. I mean, I'm watching these guys swing, and I, get, I feel like 
the mechanics of swinging a bat is gone this year. It's it's just gone. It's put it over the fence or don't even don't even come into the dugout. That's what it feels like to me. Well, nobody knows how to bunt anymore. No. That's no. a lost art. Yeah. Bunting. People are going to get hurt if they try to bunt. And I think uh, uh, Ichiro was the last one that was good at, like, that slap, that slap hit, like a oh, softball yeah. slap mm-hmm. hit where he would run, and he was so fast he'd get to first base. Like, mm-hmm. nobody does that anymore. No. I think it's I think it's illegal now. Well, I know it's illegal in softball. Oh, it is? It's illegal in softball now. You can't. Oh. You have to have both feet in the box. You can't have one, like, with a drag bunt. You can't do that anymore in softball. Um, but yeah, no, that, that's, that's my thought. I disagree right. with Clayton, you know, right. because, well, uh, Clayton, because I make the big bucks. If you're listening, Clayton, please call into our podcast <laughs> at some point. Jen is very willing to take you on. Oh, I'll debate. take you on. That's fine. So, I'm, I'm all fame pitcher versus Jen. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> um, should we move on? Yes. What else? We have a major league baseball. So, uh, <clears throat> Otani, you know, the, yeah. the pitcher hitter for the angels, on April 26th of this year, uh, he accomplished a feat not seen in nearly a century. Taking a mound as his team's starting pitcher while simultaneously leading the league in home runs. Babe Ruth. Yes, the last man who did this, Babe Ruth, on June 13th, 1921. So, how about that? I think when he, he was with Boston. Yes, when he was with Boston. And here's an interesting fact about Babe Ruth. Okay. So my grandfather... I think it was my grandfather. My grandfather saw Babe Ruth pitch in Boston when he was like in 1919. And then he saw him hit home run as a Yankee in like, I don't know, 1927 or 28 or something like that. So he saw him pitch and, actually, and he saw him hit. It wasn't with the Red Sox. It was with the Yankees. We, oh, okay. Because mm-hmm. he was with the Red Sox 1915 to 1919. Mm. So he did it for the Yankees. How about that? Not that, I mean, he didn't really pitch for the Yankees. But yes, he did do that for the Yankees. So Otani has placed himself in extremely elite company, obviously, Babe Ruth. Uh, He's, let's see, he's had three pitching appearances this season. He's hurled uh, Uh, 13.2 innings, allowing five earned runs while striking out 23. Jeez. He's appeared as a batter in all but one game for the Angels, uh, and he's a 300 average in 80 at-bats, and he's still leading Major League Baseball in home runs. He has 14. He's a beast. So, he pitches at a righty. He bats from the left side, which is impressive. Uh, Rookie of the year in 2018. Uh, Let's see. The last player to... Uh, let's see. Rookie of the Year award in 2018. He hit 22 home runs, notching a 4-2 and record and 10 starts on the mound. The last player to hit at least 15 home runs while pitching a minimum of 50 innings in a single game. Once again, that would be Babe Ruth, who did so in 1919. Oh, how about that? So, Otani is leading the majors. He has 14 home runs. He has one home run more than Ronald Acuna Jr., who has 13. Now, Fascinating. There are some concerns with Otani, though, at the moment. I think. Go ahead. So his last start was versus uh, Cleveland, and he had reduced velocity, significant reduced velocity. He uh, basically he was five miles per hour below his seasonal average. Hmm. How old is he? Uh, He's gotta be his thirties. Probably. 
So he allowed two runs on five hits, including a solo home run and a pair of walks. He threw 72 pitches over four and two-thirds innings, struck out five batters in the process. He also batted hit for himself as the Angels did not use a designated hitter. And he went 0 for 2. Interesting. So... I don't he know if that's quite cause for a lot. 29 fastballs that night. The average clocking in at 91.3 and the max at 95.3. His seasonal average is 96.6. So should the Angels be concerned? No. Now, he is not in the lineup for the first game of the Angels doubleheader versus Minnesota. He wasn't in the lineup. That's okay. I wouldn't be concerned. I mean, he did say, he came out and said that he felt... Really heavy and sluggish. Yeah, I wouldn't be concerned. I wouldn't be concerned. I mean, I guess the only concern is, I mean, just even if you're hitting, it's still, you're still, you're using your mental and physical. So I wonder if they need to not have him hit all the time. Even if he's, you know, DHing or whatever. That may be part of why he feels heavy and sluggish and if it's hot or whatever. That could be a part of it. Here's the problem, though. They need Otani's bat because Mike Trout was just put on the IL for 68 weeks with uh, calf strain. Oh, yeah. He's going to have to be. So Otani's got to be in the game. You need his bat. Yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how they, they kind of play that out um, for the rest of the year. Because it, it, you do need 14 home runs. I mean, that's – and it, he's batting 300. Mm-hmm. So that's what you really need. So maybe do you rest his arm? And just use him as a hitter? I mean, he can play outfield. They have put him yeah, in Yeah, he's, what, left field, I think he plays? Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, yeah, why not? Or just have him DH and just don't have him pitch. Or have him off the day before he has to pitch or whatever. I'm sure that there's there's countless things that they could do. Yeah, the I Angels think. organization, they came out and said they're not concerned. Which always I makes me be- think... That there's, there's lead concern. to concern. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I like Otani. I like uh, Showtime. So I hope it's uh, just fatigue. I don't think it's anything more than fatigue. But five miles per hour is a lot. Yeah, but you got to remember, his arm was, like, destroyed a couple years ago. So he didn't really – he barely played last year. He didn't play it all John. in 19. It was Tommy John. Yeah, right? and I mean, I don't care what anybody says. Like, it, you're not going to come back and be the same pitcher. And you have to – they're not going to be able to throw, you know – 95, 100 miles but an hour. But he has been. Yeah, but maybe he can't sustain it. All right. He may not be able to sustain it. Well, I but think... But he's good enough, I think, to... He is, you know, a good breaking pitch. I think he could he could hit the corners and... Unfortunately, though, I think the window is closing for the Angels. They're in second to last place in their division, and they've just lost Mike Trout. Um, so this... I think if Otani was to be out for any length of time, it might be the final nail in the coffin for the Angels. Oh, yeah. Uh, totally. season. So here's hoping for them that uh, he's okay. Yep. It's just fatigue. Yeah. Uh, now, so. a team that has been bombarded with injuries and yet still manages to keep winning the Mets. is the New York Mets. I don't recognize half of their team right now. <laughs> I'm like, who is this guy? Where did he come from? Yeah, so they just recently added their righty starting pitcher, Tejuan Walker, to the IL. He's not going to be out that long now. Uh, He had tightness in his left side. Uh, In the related move, the Mets picked up a contract of veteran outfielder Cameron Mabin from AAA to start him in left field because they're down a bunch of outfielders. The team that had like 300 outfielders has like none. <laughs> like you guys had so many outfielders 
Yeah, so... And I feel like you you have, like, three. <laughs> so, Tejvon Walker is on the 10-day IL. Uh, Pilar is out for a couple days. Jacob DeGrom is on the 10-day IL. Uh, DeGrom did just have a recent start for single-A St. Lucie, and he was throwing 102. So I think he's doing okay. And I believe the other team was tweeting, send help. Yeah. Imagine being he a struck out eight of nine. You're like a oh. single-A batter, and you're facing you're Jacob like 19 DeGrom, years old. Who's won two straight Cy Young Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they've, they're, they're being careful with DeGrom. They don't want to see him have any more recurrences of discomfort in his back. Uh, let's see. Uh, so their injured list includes outfielders Michael Conforto with a hamstring, Brandon Nimmo with a finger bone bruise, Albert Amoro Jr. with a bruised left shoulder, Kevin Pillar with facial fractures, and Jeff McNeil with a hamstring injury. Uh, and yet, we're still winning. We're still in first place in the National League East for one game up on Philly. That's good. With guys that, um, yeah, some of them I'm like, who, wait, who is this? Yeah, I don't, <laughs> who are you? I don't know half of the players on the, the team now. I'm real bummed about Pillar. I, I really enjoy watching him play. He is gutsy. And you we I'm sure a lot of you saw that hit he took to the face with a fastball. That was scary. That was gnarly. That was scary. And the the amount of blood was insane. But the guy shows up the next day at the ball field um, and said, hey, you put me in the lineup today. <laughs> so you got to like a guy like that. Yes, absolutely. So, But the Mets, yeah, I mean, they just keep winning despite – not having half their team. Yep. So. Yep. Yeah, it's very impressive. It's very impressive. Yeah, um, I agree that they still winning. And do you know? Can we talk about the power rankings really quick? Because you know sure. who's the who's the number one in the power rankings this who's week? That? Chicago White Sox. Wow. I I know. Like even with crazy Tony Larusso as their manager. Oh my God! And then what? He what, encourages his players to, to hit, hit other players. Other players. Tony, this is not 1989. Like. Things have changed. Have you watched him man, uh, coaching uh, White Sox games? I haven't seen any White Sox games this year. kind of looks like he's not sure where he is. Okay. Well, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. So, yeah, back at the beginning of April, so like maybe a month and a half ago, the Sox were 6-8. and eight. They've been 19-7 and seven since cow. then. It's the best, and, and they have the best run differential in the majors. Run differential is plus 73. How? And this is with not having several players uh, at the beginning of the year. So imagine if these top players, Kent Lake Grendahl, um, Robert, Lewis Roberts, Jimenez, imagine if they come back into the mix now and what the White Sox could do. Can they sustain it? I don't know. Um, Boston is number two in the power Boston's rankings. Good. And I absolutely hate to say this, but Boston's good. We watched them last night uh, play Toronto. And uh, I'm really Boston's impressed by good. them. Yeah. Um, and Matt Barnes had his first blown save um, last weekend for the season. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, I know. He's on my fancy team. 25 so. and 17. <laughs> the other team that's surprising to me is um, Oakland. I mean, no one's really talking about Oakland. We talked about Oakland because they had that crazy, like, what, 14, 15-game win streak, 17-game win streak, I think it ended up being. And they, they're they beating the Red Sox. They're beating the Twins. You know, they're... They're good. Well, they they're don't even good. talk about Oakland in Oakland, which is sad because they're a good ball team. And you and I discussed last podcast about them possibly relocating. 
Uh, yeah, which is a shame. And I, I could see it happening overnight like San Diego did to the Chargers. Um, Padres are four. And they just got uh, Tatis back. Yep. Um, so. And Will Myers. Yes. Um, the Astros are five. Um, I, I have no opinion on the Astros. They should still be kicked out of baseball. I noticed the Yankees are surging. They're starting to win again. It won't last. Uh, the Giants are six. <laughs> how about the Giants? Nobody predicted Nobody anything predicted the Giants. Them. And how about that NLS, NL West? I know. The Padres, the Giants. I thought it would be Padres-Dodgers, but it's like the Giants, man. They're like kicking well, ass. Dodgers are dealing with a ton of injuries. Cardinals dropped a bit. They're down to seven. The Dodgers are eight. Well, they well they lost Corey Seager, right? They did sign Albert Pujols, who I know, I know you want to talk Bellinger, about that. They have Cody Bellinger, who has a hairline leg, fla- leg fracture. <laughs> Um, let's see. They've lost, uh... And Corey Seager. Corey Seager. Uh, they did sign Albert Pujols. Yes. To a one-year deal because they need a bat and they need a guy that can play first base. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had his first home run as a Dodger last night. Wow. Yeah. That's good. Yep. I want to see him continue. That would be cool. That would be good. The Yankees are now 11. They were number 8 last week. Um, yeah, the Mets are 13. They were number 10. Um, but I, again, I think it's really just because of, of injuries. It's really hurting them. Yeah. So yeah, those are the, the notable ones, but Where's Tampa Bay? damn White Sox nine. Yeah. They were 14 last week. They're really starting to come back a little bit. They've won 10 of their last 14. They were beating Boston. Uh, we saw them bo- uh, beat Boston the other day. They looked really good. Yeah. I'm sorry. Not Boston. The Yankees. Yep. Sorry. Yankees. Yep. And they just played the Orioles. I think, I don't know what they did with that, but yeah, uh, the Tampa Bay, you can't really rule them out either. So, back to uh, Pujols. Let's go to Pujols. So, you know, we saw that he was cut from the um, Angels. Angels. And we talked about who we thought might pick him up, and a team that neither one of us said signed him, the Dodgers. That makes sense, though, with all their injuries, yeah. to get a, a good power bat, and, you know, why not? He can back up at first base. Yep. Um, and it's interesting. The Dodgers have been successful in recent seasons in getting contributions from guys that were near the end of their career, so to say. Um, remember Chase Utley? Oh, uh, true. David Freeze. True. So, uh, you know. I, uh, kind of, they're kind of like the Bill Belichick of baseball. <laughs> right? Like Bill, Bill Belichick can take a guy that had a good year few good years with the team yep. and then kind of tapered off and he's out on the free agent market or they give up nothing to get him and then he that player leads them to a Super Bowl. I mean granted yes, Tom Brady's quarterback. But yeah, they're kind of so, like they're kind of like the Patriots. I have Patriots. nothing against Pulhos. He's a really good guy. He does a lot for charity. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. I've always liked Pulhos. He's a good guy, uh amazing ball player, so yeah, I, was, I would love to see him do well with the Dodgers. And I, I don't that, like the Dodgers, though, so sorry, but... There was talk that the Cardinals would, would were going to sign him again, and I thought... And you and I both said that would have been really that. cool yeah. if he could end his career with the Cardinals. But hey, go to the Dodgers. Why not? What if they get another World Series? That would be three, three for him. Yep. He'd have three World Series. So. Yeah, that's not, not a bad number. But yeah, the White Sox is the power ranking. That one's still... That one really blows my mind. Yep. Who's yep. number two? Boston. Boston. Okay. I know Boston is two and and they're one, but whatever. So yeah, so Pujols is out in LA. Let's see if he can help turn that around, especially when they get um, some of their injured players back. Um, do we have anything else on baseball? 
No, I think. No? I mean, I've covered everything I wanted to talk about. I think about. we're good on baseball. Yeah. Should we switch over to the hockey playoffs? Sure. The NHL. Yes. The Battle can. of the North. We've got a very classic rivalry going on between Montreal and Toronto. Which uh, they, so kind of interesting about Montreal and Toronto, they have, uh, they used to be like the biggest rivalry in hockey. Oh yeah, for and, years. Uh, it's long overdue that they're meeting in the playoffs. I so, think, let me, let me, let me think of something here. When you and I went to Toronto, I want to say it was 2004 yes. we went to Toronto. Toronto was in the playoffs. And for some reason, I think they were playing Montreal, but I could be wrong. I feel no, like weren't they playing Calgary? No, that was the next round because Toronto beat round. Montreal. I thought they were playing Montreal, and we were mad that they they didn't have a game in Toronto because we were staying right by the arena. And I would have I would have paid to go see a Montreal yeah. Toronto game. <laughs> that would have been fun. <laughs> but yeah, I so yeah, it's been a, it's been a while since they've played so, each other in the playoffs. Their original six, yep. both teams, uh, it, they had their first playoff meeting in 42 years. So you're wrong. They oh, I'm wrong. In the playoffs. Oh, yeah. No. So I would have been three. So, yeah. No. So the Leafs and the Canadians used to meet regularly in the playoffs. Uh, they fought eight times between 1951 and 1967 before the NHL expanded. Uh, their final playoff game versus each other was in 1967. Uh, that was Toronto's last playoff victory over Montreal that year. Um, 67? 67. <laughs> it was the last playoff series of the original six. It was Toronto against Montreal, and it was it was Canada's centennial. It was also the Expo 67 in Montreal, and it, there was this expectation that the Canadians would be showing off their Stanley Cup in the Quebec Pavilion. Oh, Nice. So there's How'd only, that work out? <laughs> there's only been uh, two more postseason matchups since then, with Montreal sweeping Toronto in 1978 and 1979 on the way to winning the Canadiens' fifth and sixth championship of the decade. I feel like Montreal is is a is they were really talked about in the beginning of the year. You and I talked very highly of them. They sort of like petered out a little bit, but I I feel like. I don't know. Well, they I took still, the first game. I know. <laughs> I, they took the first game last night. It was it was one to one in the third period when we saw it. Yeah, they won two one. Two one. I I feel like Montreal could win that series. I think they could keep their t- the tradition well, going. I, I think uh, I I think um, Toronto uh, is uh, they're gonna be you know look at their their history. They haven't won the Stanley Cup since 1968. So Jeez. I feel like past couple of years they've had some of the best teams in hockey and they go down in the playoffs yeah they're just you know they're not a playoff team they're kind of like kansas in ncaa basketball so i got some interesting uh, interesting uh fact uh the teams got close to a dream matchup in the 1993 final but wayne gretzky's <laughs> los angeles kings eliminated toronto in game seven of the conference final before losing to montreal wow that was canada's last cup win 1993. Get out. That's the last time they've won a cup? Yeah. Wow. That's, ma- I know Calgary was in it when we were in. Oh, yeah, and they did lose. Mm-hmm. They did lose. So, as I said before, the Maple Leafs haven't won the cup since 1968. Huh. Come on, Canada. You're thought, like hockey I, wonderland. Your your kids come out of the birth canal holding hockey sticks. It's true. With come skates. On. It's got to be tough. Come on, it's time to bring a cup to the north. Put them right on ice and let them go. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Like, come on, Canada. You dominate in Olympic hockey. It, that's crazy. That's crazy. And, and yeah, that's true. In the NBA, the Toronto Raptors won, which was weird. <laughs> <laughs> Basketball invented in America, won by a Canadian team. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. So the last, so we've had the Blue Jays have won a World Series, mm-hmm. and the Raptors have won an NBA championship since the last hockey championship. Yeah, 1993. Wow. That's incredible. Okay. How about that? Come on, That's a Canada. little fascinating I, I fact this, of the day. This needs to be an issue of national importance in Canada. It does. Forget the vaccines, people. All I know is people were really excited about this this playoff. Yeah, absolutely. Like, really excited. Well, I would be. I, I think this is almost like the Boston-New York it rivalry is. in baseball. Even though that one's not so good anymore. I don't like it anymore. It's not as much fun. We were watching an old video of... What was it? Uh, Thurman Munson. It had to be like 76 or 77. Dave Winfield in there, I Dave think. Dave Winfield was in there. Um, Carlton Fisk. Oh, yep, Carlton Fisk. That was a good Yankee-Red Sox rivalry up until the late 90s, early 2000s. Then it started to get weird. Like, I don't know. Like, when you go to Yankee Stadium and, like, 50% of the fans have Boston jerseys on, like, that never would have happened in the 80s and 90s and 70s. There's no way. No, you There's get no way. You, well, yeah, there are always a lot of fights. And now it's, like, civil. It's not as much fun. I like good rivalries. <laughs> I feel like I feel like that one isn't the same. No, I agree with that. Yeah, I, I feel like the Mets-Yankees rivalry and their interleague play is actually more of a rivalry now yes. than Yankees-Red Sox. And what I do enjoy is when the Mets play the Boston Red Sox in interleague, both groups of fans chant, Yankees suck. <laughs> It's all right. We're used to it. It's okay. How many championships that, that do we have? That just makes me laugh. Cause, yes. I mean, they may... You can you all know, agree on one thing. They're competing on the field, but the fans can agree Boston or New York Mets, Yankees suck. Yes. Yes. So. That is true. <laughs> you want to talk about uh, the Battle of Florida? Yeah. Oh, Tampa and Tampa Bay and Florida. and uh, Well, Florida. The Panthers. Yeah. So, Tampa Bay is has a 2-0 lead, and they were both road wins against Florida mm. to begin the first round. Uh, Florida so, just won, though, in overtime. Yes, so now it's 2-1. But what what concerns me about Tampa Bay, and I felt like they did this last year, too, uh, is did you ever notice that they have these got their top players are injured, and then all of a sudden, like, Kucherov and Stamkos come back for the playoffs? Yeah. What's I the point? <laughs> I don't see anything wrong with that. I don't know. It, I... I I said it last, our, our last podcast that, or maybe the podcast before was Stamkos' injury. I said, he, cause he was supposed to come back in early May. And I was like, why are they going to bring him back? Like just rest him through to the playoffs, give him like some, some, you know, a hockey time, practice time with the team. You're playing against one of the best teams in hockey. So you're gonna, you're going to get your skills back and then bring him back for the playoffs. I, I would have. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I think it's smart. Again, sports is a business. Talked about this. I think it's smart. Protect your players. Bring them in. These are your superstars. You know that they can play as a team together because before he went out, he was obviously an integral part of the team. And then they they played pretty well without him. They weren't as good. And now with him back, it, and he just draw. yeah. I mean, the two of them they just folded right back into the mix nicely. They're well respected by their teammates. Yeah, it just seems fishy to me. Well, I yeah, 
I mean, if if I if I were running that business, and my player could have come back like the first week of May, or we're making the playoffs in two two and a half weeks after he comes back, I would have held him. I would have held him. Definitely. So, game three, the Panthers won six to five in overtime. Which is crazy. I, there were eleven goals. I think a big factor in that was the they had Sam Bennett back. Mm. Um, he was, oh, that's a, that is a he big He was suspended uh, for game two, so he came back for game three. I mean, since he came over from Calgary, he's really made a difference uh, mm-hmm. for Florida. Well, we said that was the best trade. I think in, we did, in hockey yes. and the, the trade deadline, that so, that that will change a team. So Kucherov played 22 minutes, the most of any Lightning forward in game two, after his miraculously timed injury recovery, just in time for the postseason. I don't see the issue. He changed, I mean, he. <laughs> He clearly he changes the dynamic of their oh, offense. Oh, certainly he does. So, uh, what's concerning is uh, Tampa Bay is six and zero all time in series where it's won the first two games. So even though Florida won the third game, who knows? The, Tampa the Bay's odds got are, this one. Yeah. The odds so are forever in your favor. In the history of favor. the NHL, just thirteen point four percent of clubs have come back from trailing two zero in a series. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm, I have no problem with what you know Tampa Bay did, um, or didn't do really. I in mean, their they next didn't, game is they tomorrow. Didn't break any rules? No, and I so would do I guess that as it a business. Just playing smart but... as a business, I would do the same thing. I am not counting out the Florida Panthers though. I'm not counting them out. Okay, I am, but that's okay. Okay, well, I'm not saying that. It's a definite they're going to win, but I'm not counting them out. I don't think they're going to roll over and make it easy for Tampa Bay. It is a best-of-seven series, so I don't think uh, they're going to go down easy. No. So. No, I agree with that. And Now, the surprising series to me has been the Golden Knights-Minnesota. Yeah, what's up with that? Minnesota is surprising me more than... I, I mean, <laughs> I, I never gave a second thought to Minnesota. At all. They won the first game in overtime, but they've lost the last two, three to one and five to two. So, you know, was it a fluke? I mean, they are number three. They are a three seed. But, yeah, I I, I don't know. I still see Vegas winning that. Um, Colorado and the Blues. I see Colorado. Colorado's already up 2 nothing oh, well, on that. well, Colorado, I mean, they, they were my pick to win the Stanley Cup at the beginning of the season, and I'm still sticking with them. Mm-hmm. I mean... McKinnon had his uh, first career playoff hat trick in uh, game two. And what was cool is that his uh, parents were there. So that's mm-hmm. cool. Um, I mean, he has five goals and two assists in the first two games. He has a 1.45 point per game average in the postseason, which is among the highest in NHL history. Uh, their their goalie, uh, Philip Grubar, had 32 saves. Um uh, St. Louis is out without their leading scorer, David Perrone, who's on the COVID-19 protocol list. Uh, and, I mean, Benning- Bennington, the Blues goalie, is one of the best in the business, but I don't think he can keep up with how fast Colorado is. Their well, offense, Colorado is very fast. Their offense is speed. They move the puck very fast. So, And here's an interesting fact for you. Since moving to Denver, Colorado is 13-1 in best-of-seven postseason series when winning the first two games. Wow. I, I Colorado is going to win this this that that series for sure. I think they have a strong chance of winning it all. 
Um, they would play Vegas or um, Minnesota. Yes. Next, right? Mm-hmm. I think the Vegas-Colorado matchup will be an interesting matchup. Well, that's been an interesting matchup all season. Yes. Yes, it has. And with Tampa Bay, they would play the winner of Carolina and Nashville, who Carolina was one of my early picks to win it as well. Um, because Carolina had so many injuries last year, they just got decimated in the second half of the year, and then COVID hit, and then no team played like themselves when they came back, you know, in July. So I'm not surprised that they're as good as they are this year. Um, but yeah, Carolina's up two to nothing on on Nashville. And can I say something about Carolina Nashville? <laughs> oh, this will be fun. I, I can't am wait. Not, I am not surprised by Carolina Carolina being up. What are they up to nothing? Uh, because what's what they've basically been saying that's killing Nashville is they can't do anything in the power play. Oh, who's their coach, Lisa? Huh, we don't know think, this painful thing at oh, all. I think it's a guy named John Hines. Oh, right. Oh, Where did he used to yeah. coach? Oh, the Devils. And weren't they the worst power play team in hockey for, like, ever? Mm-hmm. Yeah, how about so that? So, John mm-hmm. Hines said uh, after the second game, he said, we obviously know the power play has got to get better. Oh, my God. That sounds like what he said. For a couple the whole years, time he coached the Devils. <laughs> I, I mean, I think no I shit, honest, Sherlock. It's got to get better. Come I on. hate to say it, Nashville, but I think it was a fluke you got into the postseason. I, it was a fluke that they got into the postseason. I, I don't see you beating uh, the Hurricanes. The Hurricanes are just really good. Um, you know, you've got Sebastian Aho. You've got, uh, uh, you know. Uh, Saros is a really good goalie. I mean, they're just really dominant, Carolina. I, I don't see them winning the cup. I got to disagree with you there. I, I think this is Colorado's year, but yeah, that's all I want to say about Nashville. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that's Carolina. all there is to say about Nashville. So they would play They would play the winner of the Florida-Tampa Bay series, um, Carolina, because I, I clearly think Carolina's going to win. I still have Tampa Bay winning that. That should be a nice series. Carolina-Tampa Bay will be a really That'd be nice a really series. good se- series. Um, can we talk about the Capitals and the Bruins and sure. that all three of their games have gone into overtime? They have been battles. I mean, you've got two very physical teams with a lot of very aggressive players, goal scorers, good defense, good goalies going against each other. Three to two, Caps won the first game at home. Bruins won the second game four to three. The Bruins won three to two at home. They have they play tonight at six thirty our time. Um, Caps at Bruins. Um, I see another overtime game. I, I'm to me this one is really a toss up. Like this to me this is absolutely the best two three matchup in in the first round of the yes. playoffs. And this one's a toss up to me. I do. <laughs> I, I hate to say that I think Boston has the edge. Um, well, here's my concern though. But I. I I think they might have the edge, barely. My concern with Boston is in the second <clears throat> overtime of their last game, Pasternak went down with injuries, and Devin Berg went out with uh, injuries. So if they can both come back, especially Pasta. I thought I thought that they were coming back. I didn't okay. think it was serious. Cause, uh, but if they're not 100%, then the Caps Pasternak absolutely have an advantage. head and neck yep. first into the board. So that yep. concerns me a little bit. Uh, Devin Berg, he did go down hard, but he still played in the game. But if he's banged up as well, so that that's my only concern for Boston. 
Yeah, I mean, the Caps could easily win it. They easily could. And then you've got Pittsburgh and the Islanders, Pitts leading 2-1. to one. To me, I feel like the Capitals and the Bruins are better than either one of those teams. I know Pittsburgh's the number one seed, um, but it's it's Pittsburgh, Washington, Boston, Islanders. I think whoever wins the Caps-Bruins will beat whoever wins the Penguins-Islanders. I think you're going to have Caps Bruins are going to be your East Conference. I think we're the East, right? Is that what we are? I'm not even sure. I can't keep track. You got the East. The Caps. It's uh, Pittsburgh, New York, Washington, Boston. Yeah, and that's the East. Yes. Yeah. So I, I think whoever wins Caps Bruins will be will be your East champ. That's that's my prediction. You're completely leaving out the Islanders and the Penguins. I, I don't think that they're. I don't think either team can beat them. Well, I don't. I think what might be in the Islanders' corner is that they are playing their last postseason uh, in their in arena. Nassau Coliseum. Which the Islanders could beat the Pens. Nassau Coliseum is historic. Yeah. I mean, how? I mean, uh, you know, they have fans back, which helps. And uh, Nassau Coliseum was like, how many? I mean, how many championships did the Islanders a win lot. there? Yeah. We have a lot of championships. Yeah. But, it used to be called Fort Never Lose because the Islanders never lost at Nassau Coliseum. Four straight Stanley Cups in the early 80s for the Islanders. Yeah, they're they're a seriously good team. And they could beat Pittsburgh. But what I'm saying is I don't think Pittsburgh or New York could beat either Washington or Boston, whoever wins that series. That's what I'm saying. So I, I don't see either one of those teams beating okay, Boston. Okay, I or, see what you're yeah. saying. I, I mean, honestly... I, I got a soft spot for the Islanders because a bunch of my Devils favorites ended up there. The Devils go to die. Travis Stajak, Kyle Palmieri. Their retirement home. Yeah, Yeah. because, you know, Kyle Palmieri is like 28. (laughs) (laughs) And he looks very weird without his beard. He does. But uh, he did score a goal, which was cool. Yeah, I could could see the Islanders be. I mean, it's only been 4 to 3, 2 to 1, 5 to 4, so. Pittsburgh's getting old. I feel like they, they haven't old. made enough changes. Uh, Malkin's been out. I think he did come back from the, from he was the last game. Yesterday. But yeah, yeah, he was in last night. He's been injured. Uh, undisclosed injury. Well, whatever. It's the, it's the Penguins. They never disclose anything. So uh, What do we want? But, I yeah, mean, I uh, yeah. what I'm saying is your Eastern Conference champion is either Washington or Boston. All right, I can agree with that. Yeah, they I, absolutely will, are better than Pittsburgh and New York. It's I'm a not, shame they're playing each other. I know. <laughs> I think, to me, that's the best matchup. Like, that should really be a Stanley Cup matchup. But um, the last division we didn't talk about, or the well, we did talk about Montreal and Toronto. Montreal won that the first game. And Winnipeg and Edmonton, um, who Edmonton is our second team, they're playing in the their, the 2-3 matchup. I think that's another really good 2-3 matchup. Yes. Um, Oilers were, like, on fire for the last month. And I feel like their their flame has gone out a little, but I hope that they can get it back because Winnipeg is is a really good team. Yeah, they won the first game four uh, one. Yeah. Connor Hellebuck made thirty two saves <sighs> on his twenty eighth birthday. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> fantastic. Um, so yeah, I I um I like that series as well. I I do like I do think the Oilers are going to come back, and I I hope that they can win in the first round, but. Um, they play tonight at nine. Um, Back to the the Boston Capitals game. Yeah. So they were in Boston, and mm-hmm. the Boston fans were given uh, Tom Wilson quite an earful. 
Uh, but they were also giving uh, Zidane Charo quite an earful because he's no longer with them. So well, it wasn't necessarily his fault. 14 years in a Boston uniform. It wasn't necessarily his fault, though. He left as a free agent. Yeah. And signed with Washington. They didn't give him anything. Well, Boston didn't want, they didn't, he wanted a full-time playing role, and Boston couldn't promise him that. So right. So that's why he left. So but yeah, it. he he got an earful, too. Yep. So. Yep. Yeah. Uh, another thing is, uh, Washington is just the second team in NHL history to start three different goalies in its first three playoff games, mm-hmm. joining the 1986 Winnipeg Jets. It's only the fourth time a team opened any playoff round with a different starting goalie in each of its first three games in each of its first three games. Oh. Well, there you go. Fascinating. All right. Do you have anything else? Do you have anything else with hockey? No. I'm excited which, about the rest of the playoffs which, going on. Which uh, series out of these are you look, are, are you enjoying the most, you think? Oh, well, Boston and Washington. That's my favorite series, like, ever. And I like the Florida-Tampa Bay. I like that too. Florida. I like the battle <laughs> the battle of the uh, Sunshine State. I like that. Here's hoping... Uh, the Vegas Minnesota thing, like I, I kind of feel like Minnesota's the f- game one win was kind of a fluke. Do you? Yeah, I kind of do. Right. Like I think Vegas should win the next two. Um, but yeah, the Boston, Boston Washington series has been great. It's been, it's been fun. That's been a fun series. All right. So and on to, on to uh, a little bit of the uh, gridiron, um, little NFL, NFL talk. We've got a. Uh, Tim Tebow, the former uh, AAA Mets baseball player slash Jets quarterback, Wildcat quarterback slash Florida Gator quarterback, has signed with the Jacksonville Jaguars for one year. As a tight end. As a tight end. Uh, He's a Heisman winning quarterback. And who did he win the Heisman trophy for? What team? Florida. And who was Florida's coach? Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer, who now coaches. How about that? Look at that connection. He was all, uh, let's see, playoff game winning quarterback for the Broncos. Um, he's never played tight end, so he's trying to restart his football career as a tight end. And didn't, so Tim Tebow, so I'm just thinking out loud here. Tim Tebow went to Florida. He played with Aaron um, Hernandez, right? Mm-hmm. And Tim Tebow is like the team guy. He's such a team guy. That's why Urban Meyer brought him on because he, he's got a young I also team that's think, all over the place. Even though he's playing tight end, I'm thinking he might be a mentor to their Trevor new Lawrence. Quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so Tebow was last on an NFL practice field in 2015 when he tried and failed to make the Eagles roster. Prior to that, he was with the Patriots and also failed to make that roster. Uh, he was a first-round pick of the Broncos in 2010. He was in Denver for two years and then spent one year with the Jets. He last appeared in NFL game in 2012. Mm. So there's been a lot of backlash in Florida about this move. Uh, people are, are wondering, why are you signing a 33-year-old guy who hasn't played in an NFL game since 2012? Uh, to play a position he's never played before. To be a mentor to Trevor Lawrence and to be a team leader. I think Urban Meyer's rolling the dice. Uh, I on on I a agree. guy who helped him win a football championship. And not only that, he he's a hard worker. He's a very hard worker. I think he's going to be a good. He's going to be a good role model for these young players, and that's what Jacksonville needs. Because if you look at them over the past few seasons maybe six to ten seasons, they really, 
are really all over their place. There's no, doesn't seem to be a lot of structure mm-hmm. around the team. Um, so I, I feel like it's a, it's a good move just from that perspective. And then, hey, you know what? If he turns out to be a good blocking tight end for your young they quarterback, didn't spend a lot on him. Why not? <laughs> I, I why think not? They're, you know, I, I've heard some rumblings that they're hoping he's going to be like a Taysom Hill sort of role for the Jaguars. I, yeah, I can see that. So, uh, who knows? But. Here's what's interesting. If Tebow happens to take the field for the Jaguars this season, he will become just the fifth player in the Super Bowl era to go nine years between regular season snaps. Wow. Doug Flutie is the most prominent player on the list to go nine years in between games. Flutie last threw a pass in December of 1989 for the New England Patriots before leaving the NFL and spending nine seasons in the Canadian Football League. He returned to the NFL in 1998 with the Buffalo Buffalo Bills and remained in the league until 2006, playing in 70 games as a quarterback until he retired at 43 years old. So Flutie threw for 12,512 yards with 72 touchdowns and 52 interceptions with the Buffalo Bills, San Diego Chargers, and New England Patriots and made the Pro Bowl in 1998. He also rushed for 1,289 yards and eight touchdowns. Great. So, Tebow will become the first player to spend nine years between regular season snaps and play a different position. Interesting. If he does end up playing for the Jaguars in 2021. I think he will. So, he will join a... a, He will basically join a group of players, there's not very many, that have returned to the league after nine years. uh, And he's the only one that will be trying uh, a different position. So, and he spent those nine years, five of those... He was in the Mets minor league system playing baseball. Yeah. So. Yeah. Hey, why not? Go for it. I've heard, you know, he showed up at camp today, the Jaguars camp, and I've heard he's really bulked up. So. He's in that tight end shape? I think so. He's had enough biscuits to make him a tight end? (laughs) Thank you, Booger. So, we'll see. wide receiver is one biscuit away from being a tight end. (laughs) That was like the best line ever. I know. I use it all the time. I know you do. It's great. Um, so, you know, hey, I'd like to see Tim Tebow uh, succeed. Me too. He's a good guy. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm excited to see him do that. And I think... So. Um, and do you know that the sale of Tebow Jaguar jerseys has gone through the roof? Well, we used to see a ton of people in Mets games with Tebow, Tebow jerseys. jerseys. And he never played in the no. majors. So. A, I think he's just a well-liked guy. I mean, he was on Good Morning America for a little bit or one of those morning shows. He does uh, announcing for college football. Yeah. I think he's just a well-liked guy, well-rounded, well-liked guy. So so good, good luck to him. I hope he does get to take a snap. That would be pretty cool. I agree. Um, it would be nice to see. It would so. be. So I think uh, that's really all the NFL news we have. Not a lot going on since the post-draft. Teams have reported to camp. Uh, rookies have reported to camp, I should say. Teams have not yet. Um, but that seems to be going well. Haven't heard of any holdouts yeah. or any issues. Uh, Justin Fields showed up. And Mac Jones showed up, and yeah, I, I think that's all moving along. Um, NCAA golf. You have yes, a very interesting one story. One final thing for our podcast. I like it. So, golfer Amy Bockerstedt makes history as the first person with Down syndrome to compete in college championship. Uh, she's been competing in golf tournaments in since high school. Uh, her nickname is Amazing Amy, and she really is amazing. Uh, she's 22 years old. She made history to by becoming the first person with Down syndrome to compete in a national collegiate championship. 
Uh, it was the National Junior College Athletic Association tournament in Florida. She says she doesn't get nervous. She just gets very excited. And she was very happy to be there. She said her dad gets nervous, though. Uh, so the three-day contest uh, was at Plantation Bay Golf and Country Club in Ormond Beach. Um, and she said that she really enjoys going to, to tournaments because she likes to make new friends. Oh, I like that. Um, and the joke in her family is that Amy plays golf in order to meet new friends. <laughs> so she's been making history for a couple of years now. She was the first student with Down syndrome in her native Arizona to play in the state high school playoffs. Uh, in 2018, she became the first person with Down syndrome to get a college athletic scholarship when she accepted an offer from Paradise Valley Community College. And let's see. Uh, a particularly fun and famous moment occurred in 2019 when she made par on a famously difficult 16th hole at the Waste Management Phoenix Open. This wowed pro golfer Gary Woodland, and he looked on and he said, after she said, I got this. <laughs> that's great. And that's her trademark phrase. I, I got, got this. this. So, I and got she, this. She runs her own nonprofit with her family. The I Got This Foundation offers golf lessons and organizes events for people with intellectual disabilities. Wow. So she really is amazing, Amy. Yeah, I like I like Amazing Amy. Uh, she's pretty Does she cool. want to go on with her future golf career at all? Play amateur league or? You know, I don't know. That but would be pretty cool. They just did a, a feature on her. I got the information from People Magazine, which just did a feature on her. Nice. So. That's good. If you ever see Amazing Amy, get a chance to check her out. Yeah, she sounds pretty awesome. I like and Amazing And her foundation Amy. is the I Got This Foundation. I like that. I'll have to check out I Got This yeah. Foundation. She's, That's very cool. I, I mean... I am sure she's a thousand times better golfer than you and me combined. Yes. <laughs> yes. Indeed. I I would uh, I would say yes. yes. <laughs> There's no arguing with Clayton Kershaw on that one. No. You know, Amy, no. do not call me, and I will not say that I'm a better I, golfer I than you. I think she could kick our butts oh, back and forth. Oh, certainly. <laughs> through all 18 holes of golf. Oh, like twice. Yeah. Yeah. We'd still be on our. But first... we'd still be friends. So oh yeah, be we'd cool. be friends because you know we make friends. Um, I got this foundation. I like mm -hmm. that. Well, I think that wraps it up for this week. Um, we had a, we had a lot to talk about. Um, we did a lot not of good talk stuff. about your favorite stuff, car racing. Oh, that's okay. That's all right. Lewis Hamilton's going to win again. There's nothing to really talk about with Formula One. My guy, Alex Bowman won, uh, Dover. Yeah. Yeah, he did. They play, I, who are they racing this Circuit week? Circuit of the Americas. Yes. In Texas. That's right. Formula One's down in, or, um. No, NASCAR. NASCAR is down in, in, in Austin. I will be racing uh, in Bahrain for Formula yeah. <laughs> W and for as Team McLaren. Uh, Team just, McLaren. I'm yeah, El Porcello. It'll be a picture of Eva on the back wing. Yeah. Just <laughs> With sponsored her ears. by Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it <laughs> runs on Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> it runs on Dunkin'. Isn't that their slogan? Yes. <laughs> she does. She runs on Dunkin'. That's not a lie. <laughs> I don't know why. I think we I think we've got you all figured out. So uh, we thank you for uh, for joining us this week. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. Do check us out on social media website uh, www.timeoutjenlisa.com. Timeoutwithjenlisa.com. Sorry about that. And uh, yeah, we'll catch up with you guys next week. Everyone have a great week and enjoy your sports. Bye bye. bye. Thanks for listening to Time Out with Jen and Lisa. You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, 
anchor.fm slash timeoutjl and also on Spotify.